Our text this morning is going to be taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 25 through 34. You can find that in your Bible, or you can find it also printed in the bulletin. Well, it's been a week, hasn't it? Um, a, a, a crazy week. A, a, a difficult week. In many ways, and for many people, uh, we've we've seen the worst of people this week. Uh, we've also seen the best of people. Uh, it's it's been a week where we've mourned uh, with those who mourn. Uh, it's also been a week where we rejoice uh, to see justice done. We rejoice to see uh, the relief on the faces of the people of Boston. Um, it's also been an anxious week, hasn't it? Uh, a, a, a worrying type of week. And I, I really wrestled with, with what to talk about today, but I said what I really wanted to do at the end of the day uh, is to point us as a congregation to the character of God, uh, the God who rules. This, this is His world. And, and point us to that God because there's no better antidote for our anxiety and our fears and our worries than to be reminded of just who our God is. Uh, there, there, there's no better uh, help for us in this world where suffering seems always to be just around the corner for us than, than to be reminded of who God is, that there is a good God, and that He does reign from heaven, and that He does rule all things for the good of His people. A God who, who provides for His people in good times and in bad times. A God who is not caught off guard by the actions of evil men. God is, God is good, and God is great. And what that means is, is that you and I don't have to be in control. We don't have to be uh, filled with anxiety and fear. And we need to pastor one another with that truth. Uh, we've been talking about in our mission on the church, of the church, things that we're called to do as a church. And one of the things we're called to do as a church is to pastor one another. And one of the key truths we can pastor one another with is to remind each other of who God is. That God is good, that God is great, that God rules all things for the good of His people and for the good of His church. Uh, and that's a, a truth we need to point um, unbelievers to as well. In the midst of a restless and anxious world, there is a place where you can find rest for your souls in this God who rules all things. God is good. And God is great. And so we don't have to be in control. Um, that's hard though, isn't it? It's, 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 it's hard for us to really let go and to rest in that. To, to, to give up our anxieties. To give up our quest for control. And, and I'd argue that it's that quest to always be in control of what's going to happen next. That leads to much of our anxiety. and leads to much of our worry. It produces anger. It produces uh, over-busyness. Uh, all sorts of neuroses in our lives, this constant fretting because we want to be in control, but we can't be in control. Uh, Paul Miller put it this way. He said, anxiety wants to be God, but lacks God's wisdom, power, or knowledge. A godlike stance without godlike character and ability is pure tension. A godlike stance trying to control everything without godlike character and ability is pure tension. We're dying to be in control of everything so that we can make sure everything is okay in our lives and in the world. But we're not. 
we're just not in control. And I think this week has, has highlighted that very plainly to us. That at the end of the day, I'm not really in control of what happens next. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at some of the just everyday causes of our anxiety. All right? the, ones, the ones that are still going to be around three weeks from now. Uh, when we're not thinking so much about explosions in Texas and bombings in Boston, this sort of thing. We're going to talk about some of those everyday things that cause us anxiety. And then we're going to look at the one who can cure something that I think is actually harder to cure than cancer. Uh, We're going to look to one who can actually cure our anxieties. We're going to look at this God who can provide rest for us during those everyday times and during those troubling weeks that we face as well. All right, so uh, let's look at God's word for this. Matthew 6, and I'm going to read verses 19 through 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let me pray for us. Father, this is, this is your word that you've given us. Uh, you've given it to us to give us hope. Uh, you've given it to us to correct wrong thinking. Uh, you've given it to us to expose our idols. You've given it to us to point us to you, the true God, who cares and who loves us. And so, Father, we pray that we would see you today and that we would be encouraged by that. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what um, anxiety, what causes it? Jesus points us here in this text to three kind of everyday causes of anxiety. And they're, they're these things. Having the wrong treasure having the wrong focus, and having the wrong master. Having the wrong treasure, having the wrong focus, and having the wrong master. 
Now, he starts off here with, with wrong treasure. Look at verse 19. Uh, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And he goes on to say, for where your treasure will be, that's where your heart's going to be. Now, we all want treasure. Maybe different things for different ones of us. But all of us have these things that we want out of life. This treasure that we seek. Because we know if we find this treasure, whatever you've decided it is, you know or you think, if I get this, this is going to change my life. This is going to change everything. I'll be happy and content and well and everything will be perfect if I can only get this treasure. Uh, I, was, I was watching our, our family television show recently, Duck Dynasty, and um, I, I'm, I'm waiting on season five of Breaking Bad, so you'll just have to bear with the Duck Dynasty illustrations. That's all I got. But, but, it, but in this episode, Uncle Cy evidently had found some kind of treasure, some sort of coins while he was in Vietnam, and he had buried them in his backyard. Anybody seen this episode? All right, and so, and so he got two of, the, two of the brothers, or two or three of them, to come, and they looked all afternoon for the buried treasure, digging everywhere. They finally found the coffee can filled with coins, but it was like nickels and pennies and dimes. It was $8.20. There was no great treasure buried in his backyard. It, it, it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. And that's the way a lot of our treasure hunts end for us, too. We seek and we seek and we seek, and then we get it, and it's just not all it was cracked up to be. Or we get it and we're excited about it for a while, but then, I don't know, the new wear is off. It's not as exciting as it used to be. And so we move on to another thing. Uh, one of the, the big treasures for us in our, in our culture is just the accumulation of stuff. Uh, and, you know, we could talk about this frequently, but we really do feel this pressure to accumulate things. And it's reinforced for us by all of the advertising that we see. Every product is telling you, if you have this, if you have this, and if you have this, then everything about your life is going to come together and be perfectly complete and happy. You'll find the girl or the guy of your dreams, the best, you know, the great sports car. Everything is just going to be great for you if you will use our product. And so we, we are on this quest for stuff. Now, that looks differently for us at different stages of our lives. You know, if, if, um, if you're a two-year-old, and you can comprehend what I'm saying, um, you know, it's, it's, it's Thomas the Tank Engine probably for you. That's the treasure you've got to have. When you're four or five, then maybe you've moved up to Transformers or something, and that's the treasure that you've got to have. When you're eight or nine, then it's this video game that you've got to have, or maybe it's a bicycle that you've got to have. When you're 15 or 16, it becomes this car. I've got to have this car. That's the treasure that you have to have. Uh, later in life, it becomes, um, you know, another car or a husband or wife or uh, a new house or a bigger house. And then as you get older, you get the midlife car or the midlife spouse because these things just kind of deteriorate over time. The new wears off. The clothes wear off. Wear off. Ooh, wear out. Um, can you edit that? <laughs> the clothes wear out. Uh, everything just tends to fall apart over time. Um, you know, the car gets dented. The, uh, the, the, your, your treasure that you loaned out to somebody, they never return, okay? Uh, it, everything wears out over time. The new video game you don't like so much anymore. The iPad you just bought, 
suddenly Apple's released eight versions since you bought it, and it just doesn't work anymore, and you're cursing Steve Jobs. Uh, everything wears out over time. Jesus says, the treasures that you're storing up for yourself on earth won't last. They'll break, they'll get stolen, they'll perish. But we're convinced, right, we, we, we can't get that into our minds, we're convinced that the things we seek are the key to, to the good life. We're convinced that we're going to find life and security in things that don't last, in things that can't give us what we're looking for. And so we become anxious and worried about holding on to them. We've got the wrong treasure. Uh, the second cause of our anxiety, Jesus says, relates to the wrong focus. Look in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Uh, a few years ago, a friend of mine coached me out of softball retirement. Uh, so I, I got my cleats and I got my glove, I got everything out of storage, and I headed out to play no practice, hadn't played in forever, just, all right, yeah, fine, I'll come play. But there was a problem, right? There are actually several problems. Uh, number one, I, I hadn't played in three years. Number two, I have bad night vision. So think about that when you ride with me in a car. Um, <laughs> number three, I needed a new contact lens prescription. I just kind of like, ah, it's, it's close enough, I can see. I didn't want to go to the eye doctor. Number four, I was standing in right field, and I could not read the number on the back of the first baseman's jersey. Okay? It's no wonder, it's no surprise that when the high fly ball in foul territory in the lights um, somehow gets misplayed and cracks me in the head, and I wind up getting four or five stitches in my head, okay? My vision was clouded. I hadn't played in a while. I couldn't see what I was doing. It's hard to navigate a softball field in the night looking in the lights when you can't see very well. Uh, if your eyesight is bad, navigating life is difficult. It's hard for us to see where we're going. If your eyesight is bad, it's kind of like your whole body is filled with darkness. You can't get around. You can't navigate the world like you need to. Jesus is warning us about the darkness and confusion that enters in uh, to our lives. He's warning about the way in which our spiritual vision gets clouded when we focus on the wrong things. All right, for example, if you fixed your eye, if your focus is on making money, you may very well be blinded to the harmful effects that your obsession with money has on you and has on other people in your life. If you fix your eyes on success, then you may be blinded to the ways that you run over other people in order to get what you're looking for. You may be blinded to the ways um, in which you cut corners, in which you do things you never thought you would do because you're solely focused on success. And so your vision is clouded and you don't, don't see what you ought to see. We can fix our eyes on all sorts of things. Uh, our, our reputation, our work, um, uh, making sure our, our, our children are happy and that they love us. There are all these things that we fix our eyes and like, this, this is what's got to happen in my life. And our vision gets very clouded. We don't see rightly. We're trying to, 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 to maintain control through, through pursuing these things 
that we can't control, and so we're filled with worry and anxiety. Wrong treasure, uh, wrong focus, and then last Jesus tells us about a wrong master. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Uh, some of you may know my story. I grew up in the church, uh, went to church camps in the summer, got involved in a campus ministry while I was in college. Uh, I, I gave the appearance of, of being a, a good kid. But over time, I realized that what I really wanted to be was this fairly moral religious person on the outside, while what I really wanted to pursue was money and pleasure and fun. I wanted to kind of have it both ways. I wanted to, to build my own kingdom and baptize that with my involvement in the church. I was trying to serve two masters. And Jesus says you can't do that. You can't serve two masters. You may think you can follow Jesus and money, but eventually you're going to be exposed. And when you're exposed, it'll be obvious to you and everybody else that Jesus really wasn't your master. You'll compromise uh, on your schoolwork, on your, on your job. You'll, you'll cut some corner you shouldn't to get ahead. You'll compromise your marriage because your real, uh, your real master is pleasure. Uh, it's eventually, it eventually comes out. You can fool yourself for a while into thinking that you can serve Jesus and something else, but Jesus says you can't do it, and eventually you'll be exposed. So, Wrong treasure, wrong focus, wrong master. Now, if you think about those for a minute, they're all kind of different ways of saying the same thing, aren't they? They're all getting at the same heart issue. They're all asking you to ask yourself, what do I really worship? What's my real God? I've been starting to think that one of the great lies that our culture tells us is that only people involved in organized religion are religious. But the truth of the matter is, is that everybody is religious. Everybody worships something. Everybody has something that's captured your heart, that's captured your imagination, something that's become the most important thing in your life. You and I are always worshiping something. We're always serving something. That's how we're wired. Right now, you've got something that's your treasure. Uh, right now, you've got something that's your focus. Right now, you've got something that's your master, something that you serve. Uh, ask yourself, what do I spend the most time thinking about? Ask yourself, what is it that causes me the most anxiety? What do I get the most worried and worked up about? What are you most concerned about losing? are not having in your life, that's probably your treasure. And, and even if you don't want to admit it, it's probably also the master that you're serving. And it's the reason that you're so anxious and so worried. When your treasure is anything other than God himself, the Bible calls that idolatry. Uh, anything in life, and I was anything in life that's more important to you than God. One writer put it this way, it's anything in life that's more fundamental than God 
to your happiness, to your meaning in life, and to your identity. That, that thing's your God. That thing's your treasure. And here's the thing. These idols, these treasures that we see can't provide for you. They can't provide for us. They really can't help us. They really can't give our life meaning. But they can control us. They can enslave us. Uh, When you really believe that you've got to have, and you just fill in the blank, whatever it is, this thing in order to be happy, that's your God. And that's what you're going to follow. That's what you're going to give your life to. That's what you're going to serve. If you're saying, if I don't have this, then, then my life won't be worth living. That's your idol. And so we pursue, we frantically pursue these treasures, these idols, and we become fearful and anxious and afraid and even angry when these things that we're pursuing are threatened. Um, Somebody put it this way, suppose I value my ability to teach and communicate clearly. Then I fail in teaching well. I'm stricken with neurotic guilt. You know, what are you failing at right now that you can't get past? What are you failing at that you can't get past? He goes on to say, bitterness becomes neurotically intensified when someone or something stands between me and something that is my ultimate value. Uh, who are you angry and bitter with right now? It, who is this, uh, who is that person? It could be that you're angry and bitter with them because they're keeping you from getting something that you really want. Something that you think, I've got to have, and they're standing in the way of that. They're standing in the way of your treasure. They're standing in your way of everything with life being okay. They're threatening your treasure. Well, uh, what's the cause of our bitterness? What's the cause of our fear? What's the cause of our anxiety? What's the cause of the, the frantic pace of our lives? Jesus is saying, look, it's, at the end of the day, it's your idolatry. It's the fact that something or someone has become more fundamental to you than God, to your happiness, to your meaning in life, to your sense of who you are. That's the reason you're so anxious. Well, if that's the cause... What's the, what's the cure? What's the cure? What's the answer? Well, the answer here in the text is not to say, well, okay, well, I'm not going to have a treasure. The answer is not, not having a treasure. It's not not having a focus. Uh, it's not not having a master. The answer is having the right treasure and the right focus and the right master. The answer, Jesus says, is to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And what Jesus is calling us to do is to seek to know and to love and to worship the one true God. The, the God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is not a call on Jesus' part for us to just go find a higher power to make our lives better. To just find a, a deity that we like and can get along with. Uh, Will Smith, uh, a.k.a. the Fresh Prince, um, uh, once said, I love my God, my higher, my higher power, but it is mine and mine alone. And I create my connection. And I decide how my connection is going to be. And that's such a common American way of thinking about it. I just design God the way I want to design Him. Whatever way I think God ought to be like, I create God in my image. That's not what Jesus is calling us to do here. Jesus is, is, is 
not calling us simply to find something bigger to ourselves to give ourselves to. This is a call to come to the one true God through Jesus Christ and through Him alone. Uh, The Bible tells us that Jesus is the one who actually died for our idolatry. He died for idolaters and He offers free forgiveness and renewed affections, right affection to everyone who resolved to lay down their earthly treasures and to grasp hold of Jesus and the treasure that is His gospel, His good news. And so this is a call to submit ourselves to the rule of the King and to rest in the good news that the King brings to us. And here's why that's a cure. Once once Jesus is our treasure, once Jesus is your focus, once Jesus is your master, your worry and your anxiety, uh, your fearfulness, those things should all begin to lessen in our lives. Now, that, I, let's be honest, it's not some kind of overnight cure, right? It's more like a slow drip of antibiotics for your lifetime. Um, it, it, it takes time for this to take effect because even after we turn to Christ, even after I turn to Christ, um, we, we find, and sometimes we discover these long after we're Christians, I've still got all kind of idols in my lives. I've still got all kind of false hopes in my lives. I still get anxious and busy uh, looking for treasure in the, in the wrong places. But what Jesus tells me is that you don't have to any longer. I don't have to go there any longer. I don't have to be anxiously looking and waiting on these false saviors to provide for me because I have Jesus. And Jesus tells me, if you will come to me, if you'll become a child of the Father through faith in me, then you can lay all your worrying down. You can lay down all of your, your, your looking for security, uh, looking for security, looking for treasure and all of these things and clothing and food and possessions and jobs and, and relationships. You can quit looking to all those things to provide you with what you're looking for. Because all they do at the end of the day is they make you more insecure and more afraid because you can never really get a hold of them. And they will never really give you freedom from security and freedom from fear. But now you know someone who can. Now you know my Father. And then he reminds us, and I want to close with this, he reminds us of these two things about the Father uh, that give us free, can give us freedom from worry during the hard weeks and during the everyday kind of weeks. Uh, look with me here. Verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? What Jesus tells us, He tells us two things in this text. First of all, He tells us, Uh, that the Father provides for His children. The Father provides for His children. He says, look, look at life. Look at how your Father provides for the birds of the air. Look at how your Father provides for the flowers of the field. If He provides for the birds, if He provides for the flowers, then don't you think He will provide for you His children? The children that He has bought with the price of the blood of His only Son. 
Uh, Romans 8.32, the Apostle Paul would put it this way. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If the Father has given you His Son, if He's given up His Son for you, don't you think that He will also give you all things that are needful for this life? Those things that, that we pursue, they, they can't give us. They can't provide for us. They can't fill us with what we're... They can't give us what we're looking for. They simply fill us with anxiety. But Jesus says your Father can and will provide. He knows what you need and He'll provide for you. And then the second thing He says is here in verse 27, And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to His span of life? Now, what's He saying there? You're not in charge. You're not in charge of your life. You can worry about it all you want to be, all you want to, but you're still not in charge of your life. And what's implied in all of this, this whole passage is you're not in charge of your life, but the Father who cares about you is. When, when you get up in the morning and when you walk out the door, the things that are going to happen to you that day can't be changed by your worrying about them. They're not going to be changed by your being anxious about them. When you get up and you walk out the door in the morning, the things that happen to you aren't determined by fate. They're not determined by the luck of the draw. They're not determined by chance. They're determined by your Father in heaven. And so if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you know this Father in heaven, if you know Him, you can know that the one in charge of everything is your Father. And He's a good Father. And He's ruling all things well. He's working all things according to the counsel of His will. He's working all things for the good of His people, the church. Alright, imagine being a kid uh, and you're, you've got to go off camping in the woods. You know, you're four years old. You're by yourself in the woods in the middle of a thunderstorm. Alright, sounds fun, right? Alright, now imagine that the same situation except you're there with your father. It completely transforms how you think about the situation. That's... That's who you are if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Your life is in the hand of the Father. Now, that doesn't mean you'll never experience pain. Uh, It doesn't mean you'll never experience suffering. It doesn't mean we'll always get what we want. It doesn't mean that everything's always going to work out in this world the way we want it to work out. Uh, Becoming a Christian doesn't put you in some kind of safety bubble um, where, where everything just goes perfectly for you, even though it doesn't for other people. But as, but as, as John Newton said, uh, everything is necessary that God sends, and nothing is necessary that He withholds. Everything is necessary that He sends, and nothing is necessary that He withholds. Even the painful things are under the wise control of the loving and good Heavenly Father. And, and look, this isn't a, uh, a message about suffering necessarily, uh, but we always have those questions in times like this, right? Why does a good God allow suffering? Uh, let me just give you this to chew on. Here's what the answer can't be. It can't be that He allows suffering because He doesn't love us. 
Because what the cross tells us is that God in heaven loved us so much that He loved us enough to enter into our suffering and to actually suffer Himself so that one day our suffering would be done away with. And so the answer to suffering can't be that He doesn't love us because He loves us infinitely. And we have to remember that. When, when we're threatened by worry, when we're threatened by anxiety, Jesus says, remember who your Father is. Remember that He's good. Remember that He provides for you and will provide for you. Remember that He's in control and ruling all things. So every day we're faced with a choice. Um, where am I going to put my trust today? What am I going to serve? Where am I going to put my hope? Am I going to trust lifeless idols that really aren't God and that it really can't help me, and that will only leave me more and more anxious and more and more worried and more and more fearful, or will I entrust myself to a living and true God and rest in His fatherly control, His fatherly rule? Uh, most of you know kind of the general outlines of, of Tiger Woods' life and story. Uh, he's probably the greatest golfer uh, to ever play the game. Uh, but his, his life and his career were derailed slightly uh, a, a few years ago by, we'll just say, events off the course. Um, and, and, and because of these personal issues, he took some time away from the game to kind of get things together. And he came back and he struggled to make it back to number one. He struggled to get back to where he was until this March he regained the ranking of number one golfer in the world again. He had lost that in October of 2010. So two and a half years later, he's back on top again. A few days later, Nike came out with a commercial. Some of you may have seen this commercial. The commercial has Tiger Woods saying this, winning takes care of everything. Winning takes all this junk that happened that everybody knows about my personal life. It doesn't matter anymore because winning takes care of everything. Winning fixes everything everything can you see what God he's looking to to make everything okay do you do you see what he's what he's saying every day he gets up and he's pursuing treasure right, and go look at his, his workout schedule it's, it's, it's pretty impressive but he's pursuing a treasure he's serving a master He's got a focus. He's focused on winning at golf because he believes that winning at golf is going to fix everything. It's going to change everything. It's going to make everything okay. You might put it this way. He's convinced that winning at golf is his salvation that will make everything right. What's yours? What's your salvation? What are you convinced? What are you getting up every day and pursuing and saying, if I get this, it's going to make everything okay. If your life on a day-to-day on -day, uh, is marked by worry and anxiety and fear, that fruit doesn't just come out of nowhere. Okay? There's a reason that you're experiencing that in your life. It's produced because what you're doing is you're putting yourself into the arms of the wrong lover. The fruit comes from somewhere. Jesus says, come to me, 
put yourself in my arms. Let me be your Savior, and I'll bring you into a relationship with the only one who does take care of everything. You'll know me, the Savior. You'll know my Father who rules all things where all things well. You'll know the one who takes care of the birds, who takes care of the flowers of the field, and who will take care of you. And so Jesus' invitation in the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying that the cure to your anxiety is to let go of these earthly treasures and to grab hold of the goodness of God that's offered to you in the Gospel and know the Father who cares for you. Let me pray for us. Father, we, um, we confess that um, intellectually these things are they're not that hard to say, uh, but often in our lives we look more like Tiger Woods. There's something that's ruling us, something controlling us, something that we're convinced that if I get that, then everything's going to be okay. And that's our treasure. Uh, Father, would you show us that that treasure is not helping us, that that treasure is ruling us, that that treasure is making us anxious and insecure? And would you show us the security that's to be found only in knowing you? Father, would you draw us to yourself? Would you show us that you're a good God, that you rule all things well, even difficult things? Help us to believe that and bank on that and be changed by that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.